Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you would reach for your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to shift gears from the second gospel of Luke, so to speak, where we're looking at in Acts, to this first gospel of Luke, the actual gospel of Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading in the 25th verse. And when you found that, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning, Luke chapter 2, starting in that 25th verse. And it reads like this. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Father, this morning we ask your blessing upon your word. The hearing of the word, the reading of the word, and now the exposition of that word. Father, you bless it by taking control over me, standing in my body, thinking with my mind, and speaking with my mouth that the only thing that may be seen today is you and all of your glory, because you are the Almighty God who is holy. And it's in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, we ask these things today. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, we find ourselves living in a world of just untold possibilities, don't we? Just untold possibilities. There's more wealth in our world today than at any other time in history. Our world is connected through uh, the way we travel, through our internet, through the, the news, through our satellite TVs, through our radios, through our, our phones. It's almost instant information that we can get now from all over the world. And it just seems like we're just filled with possibilities of knowing things and doing things and seeing things and in our world today. We can travel from, from one place. We can be on one coast and, and get in an airplane and land on the other coast and with the time change and what seems like just hours difference we can take off on the other side and fly back and be home the next day i don't know how that works out but but anyhow we could be somewhere in a matter of no time even the vehicles we drive and the speeds that we we travel at we can we can be places in in very little time if you look at our world today the the poorest people can actually work hard enough that that they move up through the ranks from the ranks of the poor to to the pinnacle of the rich there's there's stories of people who have grown up in homes that have absolutely nothing and they wind up being one of the wealthiest people in the world because of their efforts that they put in. You know, our children, our children now, the young people sitting around me, I think about the possibilities for them as they go to school and they learn things and they come out and they do things that, that for us were unfathomable. They, they have possibilities in front of them that we never thought were available to us. You know, every day we hear of these new discoveries that are happening, whether it be in science or medical or whatever it may be, that, that just changes the face of the world that we live in. From, from the, the way we interact with appliances in our home to, to the way we can now see a doctor on, online and he somehow through the screen can tell what's wrong with us. And uh, it doesn't speak a whole lot for the doctor you see face to face, but a guy could do it over a television now, does it? But I mean, just the way things are changing, just, just, our world is just in constant change and there's just so many possibilities in our world today. Our, our, our young people have so much in front of them. So much in front of them. 
Yet I believe you would agree with me that we live in a world today that has never been so hopeless. With all the possibilities of what lays before us, we, we have a world that has never been so hopeless. The, the suicide rate among our young people is at an all-time high. Young people with, with the possibilities of life ahead of them are choosing death over that life. You know, the, the divorce rate seems like it's finally leveled out. Only half of marriages are falling apart now. It's unheard of. Businesses are closing on a daily basis, even though, even though the economy is good. Pastor Restaurant Hampstead just this week, just opened this year, just closed this year. You know, you, you see these things happening. Young people, young people are going away to college. They're getting an education. They're coming out of college. They're moving back into mom and dad's home because they can't find anywhere to apply their trade that they've learned. Single parent homes, single parent homes on the rise. Why? Because the divorce rate is 50%. You know, it seems that everyone has this right that they feel like is owed to them, but nobody's getting their right in our world today. It just seems like people are hoping for their rights and just can't even seem to get one of them. There's constant marches or petitions or something going on for everybody's right. It's funny to me how to give one person their right takes the right from another person. So what does it say about our rights? <laughs> You know, violence today is, is at an all-time high. You, you pick up the newspaper, you see the stories every day, every weekend. There are people, young people, middle-aged people, older people, losing their life to violence in our world today. You know, think about the unborn babies in our world today. The unborn babies, that their lives are taken before they ever breathe their first breath outside of the womb. And it's so nonchalant. It's, it's as if they're not even a, a, a thing. It, it's, it's leftover food just, just being thrown out. It's, what a hopeless, what a hopeless state we're in. You know, and what about those that we're seeing on a rampant rate right now that our hospitals are flooded with those that are having drug overdoses and dying? Because the world seems so hopeless to them, they're picking up anything they can to try to make that pain of a hopeless world go away. And they're doing it at such a high rate that it takes their own life. You know, it, it seems as if the more advanced we get, <laughs> the less hope we leave for those that are following us. The, the more advanced we come as a, as a civilization, as a culture, <laughs> the less hope for the next generation. Many of us wonder, what's it going to be like for our, our children and our grandchildren? It, it, it seems if something does not happen in our world today, there will be no hope for the future. There will be no hope for that next generation. But the more man takes charge of the world, the more man tries to put the world in his own little convenient box and run it his way, the worse the situation becomes. And the less hope that there is in this world. As we start the Advent season today, we look at God's answer to the hopelessness in our world and our lives. Advent season is one of those times, as I was telling the kids, that's a remembrance of what has happened, but it's also an anticipation for that which is going to happen. Remembrance of the coming of Christ at His birth, but anticipation of His return to 
rule and to reign and to, to take us into His presence to be with Him forever. So even as we talk about this hopeless world, we'll look at over the next four Sundays or so, the, the four things that are made up in this Advent, the, the, the event that's already taken place at Jesus' birth, but the, the anticipation of that event of His return, and those four things are hope, joy, peace, and love. Hope, joy, peace, and love. And they all culminate in that center candle. You'll notice there are three purples, a peak, and a center white. We'll light the four purples on the next three Sundays. The, the, the fourth pink, the first pink one, the fourth candle, will be the day of love that we remember love. That white candle we will light the night of Christmas Eve as we come together for our communion. And we think about that which Christ has done for us and look forward to that which He is going to do together. Today, let's look at the topic of hope for the hopeless. That first candle that we lit this morning, hope for the hopeless. The passage of Scripture we read together today takes on a whole new realization for me this season. This season of my life. As I, as I think about that which God has done in my life, it's, it's a story of this, this elderly man having the opportunity to hold in his hands a, a baby. You know, and nothing signifies hope in life more than holding a newborn baby, does it? You know, last night we had our company Christmas party. Took everybody and their families and friends over to Mike's farm for dinner. Uh, my daughter was uh, able to go with us uh, this year. And, of course, Andrew, my sidekick, tagged along there with us. And anywhere my daughter goes, she seems to have her... Uh, fiance, which by the way, if I hadn't told you, she's getting married in May. Did I get that right, honey? May. Last time I said March, somebody else corrected me and I said, they know more about my daughter than I do. <laughs> but she has a fiance. They're getting married in May and it's, her fiance's uh, sister has a baby and they, they call themselves, my, my daughter calls herself the weekend mom. She has this little one-year-old baby about every weekend and he came along with us yesterday and and it got time to go up and get our plates fixed, and I'm sitting at the end of the table, and Andrew's plopped firmly on one lap, uh, one side of me, holding on tightly as he uh, doesn't want to let go of me, and Wendy's going to go fix my plate. So my daughter gets up to go fix her plate and plops in the other lap, the one-year-old. So I'm sitting at the end of the table with life wrapped up in my arms. As they're just playing with things, I'm letting the one-year-old eat a set of keys. I don't know if that's right or not. Andrew's patting him on the back and trying to make him take his bottle and playing with the forks on the table and life's just good. Life's just good. Just just holding this this new life in your hands. This this young life just seems to have this certain amount of of hope. See, for me, it's a reality that there is this hope when I hold my grandson in my arms and and even when I held him for the very first time and realized that hope that. That hope hasn't waned over the two and a half years he's been alive. And, and I've been able to hold him in my hands. As I think about the fact that I have more years behind me than I have in front of me, <laughs> I'm brought to a sense of hope when I sit down and get to spend time with little Andrew. He's just over the last few weeks learned to say a few words. One of, them, one of his popular words seems to be pawpaw. But it always is followed by pawpaw and something he wants. I don't know how that happened, but he normally gets it. Maybe that's how that happened. 
But it's just, it's just interesting to see them grow. For things in their mind to start to connect. For them to start to understand that it's more than just pointing at something. It's asking for something. And then it's just so sweet when you give him that thing and he looks at you and he goes, thank you. You're saying, please ask for something else. Please ask for something else. You're ready to give him something else. There, there's just this, this hope, a, a hope that life goes on, a hope that there is a future, there's a, a hope that there's a chance that a difference can be made in this world. And, and that hope was sitting in my lap last night at dinner. There, there was this hope. As Charles Elliott once said, while he was holding this newborn baby in his arms, he said this, and I quote, I've been looking at the end of life for so long that I wanted to look for a few moments at its beginning. Wow. You know, sometimes we get to looking at the end of life so hard, we forget there's a beginning. And how neat it is to know that we can hold that in our arms. One of the many blessings, one of the many blessings that come with a newborn baby is a sense of hope. Yet with that hope comes a certain amount of uncertainty now, doesn't it? <laughs> uncertainty about the disease and death in our world. Uncertainty of the evil that surrounds us. Uncertainty of the economics of the world. Uncertainty of peace in this world. And when we see a person who is late in life that is filled with hope, we need to stop and take a look at that person. Because what generally happens is we start off with all the hope in the world when we're a little child sitting down here talking about the cheeseburger we wish we'd had for Thanksgiving. We have all the hope in the world. You get to be my age, you're just hoping you can hang on to retirement. You know, hope seems to wane as the years pile on now, doesn't it? When we see a person, when we see a person who decides that being older doesn't make you cynical, that being older doesn't make you filled with fear and anxiety. Being older, you can still have hope. When we see a person like that, we need to stop and go, what does he know that I don't know? See, we have that chance this morning. Simeon is very different in his outlook for the future. Simeon is a man that is filled with hope, and there are three ways that hope is revealed. There are three ways that hope is revealed in his life. And it should be three ways that hope is revealed in a Christian's life. We'll go very rapidly this morning because we're already short on time. I know you find that hard to believe. First, there's a righteous and expectant life filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing I notice about him in verse 25. In verse 25 it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name is Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. There were three things that made up this this righteous, expected life filled with the Holy Spirit. First, it was to hope in Christ means to live a righteous life. See, when you hope in Christ, you live this righteous life. Simeon is only mentioned in the Bible in this passage. In this passage. And God wants to give a full and complete picture of who this Simeon is. And he does it by using the scripture, the descriptor that he is a just and a righteous man. He wants to paint a picture of who Simeon is. He says just and righteous. See, what does it mean to be righteous? First, it does not mean that you're perfect. Let's get that off the table. It does not mean that you're perfect. Often we think of righteous people as perfect people. The problem with that is, the problem with that is, God says that there is no man that is perfect. Remember what is written in Romans 3.10? 
It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Guess where Simeon falls in? <laughs> the none. It says there is none righteous. Man in and of himself is not righteous, yet he calls Simeon righteous. So, so first, it doesn't mean he was perfect. Second, it, it does not indicate that Simeon did something to become perfect. He wasn't just perfection on his own, righteous on his own, but he also didn't do something to be perfect or be righteous. See, in Galatians 2.21, Paul writes, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. So many, so many are seeking to be righteous before God in your own works. The way that you give, the way that you look after your family, your friends, the way that you try to love, the, the way that you try to be a good person, yet... If there was any way you could do it by your own works, Jesus crawled on that cross for no reason. See, Paul writes again in Galatians 3.21, he says, Is the law then against the promises of God? He says, is, is, there's a promise of God. Is the, is the law against that? He goes, certainly not. Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. He said if there was a law that was given that you could keep and become righteous, then righteousness would have been by the law. But it's not. See, what Paul was saying is Simeon knew what Simeon knew to be true, that there is nothing we can do to be righteous before a holy God. There, there are not enough good works. There are not enough Sundays to attend church. There, there are not enough hours in the day to pray or to read your Bible. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to be found righteous before a holy God. And that's why the third aspect of this, this righteous life is that righteousness comes only from God. See, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become righteousness of God in him. See, the only way that we can be found righteous is in Jesus Christ, which raises a question in regard to Simeon. Simeon's holding Jesus in his hand. We know to be found righteous in Jesus Christ is to trust in His death, burial, and His resurrection on our behalf. Yet He is holding the living Jesus. See, it raises a, a question. How was He found righteous when Jesus had not yet died for His sins? You see, that's the beauty of hope. That's the beauty of hope. Whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, there's only one way that we can be saved. It's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no other way to come to salvation. Whether you lived before Simeon held him, or you lived after Simeon held him, Jesus is the only answer. Simeon had heard the promise of God that he would provide a sacrifice. He knew that it was demonstrated in Abraham. When Abraham raised the knife to kill his son, and he said, whoa, hold on a second. I've got a sacrifice for you right here. God had already demonstrated the fact that there would be a sacrifice given by God on our behalf. And Simeon held to that truth. He hoped. He had hope. 
Simeon had heard that promise. He had heard that God would send a Messiah to rescue his people. And Simeon believed. Simeon believed while not seeing that it was true. Wow, that sounds a lot like faith now, doesn't it? Faith is believing in that which you cannot see, but you believe to be true. And that's what Simeon had. And like it was spoken of Abraham, of his faith and the promise of God in Romans 4.22, it says, it was accounted to him for righteousness. See, Abraham believed. Simeon believed. Simeon not only believed God, he lived like it. You want to know what's missing in our world today as Christians? We may believe in God. We may believe Jesus is our only hope, but many of us fail to live like it. You want to know why the world's hopeless? We fail to show them hope in Jesus Christ in our own lives. See, Simeon was righteous in his behavior towards God and others, and he was devout. He, he was not careless in his faith. He, he did not waver to and fro. He was solid in his belief in God because of what it says in verse 29. Where I stopped, what he says, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said in verse 28, he starts off with the word, Lord. See, who was God to, to Simeon? He was his Lord. See, we look to Jesus today as our get out of hell card. But he had better be our you are my Lord card. Because when he's just your get out of hell card, those around you, never see as your hope. When like Simeon, he is your Lord card. Those around you say there is something different about this old man. Where does his hope come from? It comes from a, a righteous life that he lived. But this, this righteous life was, was not only just righteous, but he had an expected field life. And that's the second part of this first point. To hope in Christ means to have an expected life. In the second part of that, verse 25, it said, and, and this man was just devout, he said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon had looked for this consolation of, of Israel. So, so what is this consolation? Break it down into smaller words. It works a whole lot better for me in smaller words. Single syllables work even better for me. You, you know that if you've been around me a lot. But if you take this consolation, you break it down to this word, console, that you see jump out in the middle of this. What, is it, what does it mean to console? To console means to comfort, doesn't it? Had a death that we talked about this morning in Sunday school. And, and, and one of the things that is such a blessing to that family in, in death is the fact that there was this consoling comfort of a church to come alongside. How many of you felt that in your life? There's, there's been an issue, there's been a problem in your life, and you feel this comfort, this consoling that comes. And Simeon would have remembered the, the prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. From Isaiah chapter 40. He had this prophecy probably would have been stuck in his mind. I'll just read the very first couple of verses that you go home and read the rest. We're short on time. But it says in Isaiah 40, verse number 1, he says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. Let her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He talked about God's people are comforted. Comforted by this coming Messiah. Isaiah prophesied that the coming Messiah would bring comfort to the people. 
He would bring relief from warfare from their iniquities. He would do this by sending to them a Messiah, an anointed one that would come. Through all the ages, Israel had been looking for this Messiah. Yet through the ages, they had turned from God and turned towards their own ways. And we talked about that this morning when, when you see them taking a, a 40 day, was it a 40 day journey across the desert that wound up taking 40 years? Why did they wonder 40 years? <laughs> they didn't put their trust. And God's promise, they, they were looking for a Messiah. When, when God said, I got this covered, they said, that's not the one we were looking for. The exact same way the people did in the New Testament. When Jesus showed up on the scene as a baby in a manger, they said, a baby in a manger? Ha, we were looking for a king. But not Simeon. Simeon said, there's a Messiah God's promised him, and I think he's here. Sounds like our world today, doesn't it, when we think about God? We no longer want prayer in schools. We no longer even want God in schools. Why? We got a better way. We, we don't want God in our government. That's restricting. We, we've got this under control, God. Go somewhere else. We've got the government handled. <laughs> in some instances, we don't even want God in our families. We, we know what families are supposed to be. We think it's perfectly fine for two men to have a family or two women to have a family. <laughs> what do we need you for, God? We got this. See, in some instances, we no longer even want God in church. <laughs> Let's just be real about it. There are times we don't want God in church. We don't want God in church because when God gets in church, <laughs> He makes you do things that aren't real comfortable. He makes you go to that neighbor next door that's of a different ethnicity. Or the guy across the street that sits on the back porch smoking pot every afternoon. Or the drunk that's at the corner. He makes you stop. I know. I know he'll make you stop. It'll be at the worst time in your life. It'll be on a Sunday morning when he's changed your passage. You ain't got time. You're on the way to church. And he says, you stop by and see the guy. I said, he's got Allah. He don't need me. And God says, no, he needs you. And you walk in a door to God that's just lost his best friend and believes there's a God called Allah, doesn't know what to do with the death of his friend because he has no hope in Allah. And he looks me in the eye and he says, Pastor, do you believe you ever see the ones that die again after death? I learned right then God can make me just as uncomfortable as he wants because you couldn't have put that one on a tee and handed me a bat and me hit it any better. Why? Because he had no hope in his Muslim faith. I had all the hope in the world that there's a day that all those that know Christ that have died before me that I love so much, I'll sit down and have a Thanksgiving dinner at the Lord's table with them. He was hopeless in death, and I had the opportunity to tell him about my Jesus. I'd love to tell you he fell on his knees and became a Christian that day. He didn't, but you know what I know? <laughs> He's going to. You see, we don't want God in our church sometimes to go, God makes us do things that are uncomfortable. We get so comfortable doing church the way we did it last year that the church declines around us, and we don't even notice. We have churches closing every day because they don't want God in their church. See, Simeon knew better. He knew the promises that there were going to be a Messiah, and he believed what God said. Sometimes at Christmas, it's easy for us New Testament Christians to say, Yeah, yeah, God 
that's it, the Messiah. We know he did. His, his name's Jesus. We got him on our Christmas cards. We have him in our manger scenes. We read the story every year. Yeah, he sent the Messiah. We know he did. And, and then we have a chance to look at those Old Testament saints or those Jewish people in that day and say, we know it. We see it. We believe it. You just flat out missed it because you were looking for the wrong thing. You see, and looking back, your hindsight's always 2020 now, isn't it? See, looking back at what had already happened, it's pretty easy to see that God had sent a Messiah. Who else could do these things that Jesus had done? But what about the expected life we're to be living in the promise that Jesus is going to come again? See, it's easy to say he's already come. We believe the story. We know he was Jesus because of what he did. But that's not the end of the story. The cradle wasn't the end. The cross wasn't the end. The grave wasn't the end. The end of the story is today he says, Come in, my good and faithful servant. That day he steps out of the cloud and calls us home. You see, we're to be living a life that demonstrates our expectation that Christ will come again. And I believe, as pastors have said for hundreds, if not thousands of years, that day's upon us. That day is close. It's closer than it's ever been. God's patience has got to be wearing thin. It has got to be wearing thin with us. He's got to be looking at at the direction this world is headed and think, you know, it's time. It's time. It's time to put an end to this evil. It's, It's time to restore the perfection of my creation, the new heaven and the new earth. It's time to stop the pain and the suffering my children are going through. It's time to make all things new in Christ Jesus. Do you live your life expectant of that time? I pray that you do. It's point one of three points that we're not going to get to this morning. But I think this is a fitting place to stop. As we think about the hope of Christ. How can we have hope in this baby in a manger? How can we have hope in a man that could not even save his own life? How can we have hope in someone that lived thousands of years ago and yet the world's only gotten worse? Since he was here, how can we have hope? It's by knowing who this Jesus is. Yes, he was a baby in a manger. But he was very different than any other baby. He was very different than my precious grandson, Andrew. As much as I love Andrew, I know one thing about him. (laughs) Given the opportunity, he's going to touch the thing that I say do not touch. He's going to steal food off my plate. (laughs) He's going to try me as much as he can. He's not going to look for the good thing to do. He's going to look to see how far he can push the envelope. 
Every one of us were born just like that. You know what the Bible says about that? It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not a one of us, not a baby that's ever been born that wasn't born with a sin nature. There are those theologians that will debate it. And that debate can go on for years. I'm going to stand on what the Bible says. All have sinned. You know what the Greek word all means there? All. That was pretty, was pretty good, wasn't it? It means everybody. We're all level playing ground. It's not one of us any better than the other. We all have sinned. But you know, there was a human that didn't. Why did he not sin? If you flip back in Luke just a chapter or so, you'll find the story of this miraculous birth of the God-man, Jesus. He had no earthly father. For the Holy Spirit conceived him in the womb of a virgin named Mary. You know, we hear that story and we breeze right past it. How many virgins do you know that's ever had a baby? Anybody? I told. There's only been one. Her name was Mary. Is she special? Absolutely. Is she as special as the Catholic Church makes her? Absolutely not. Because guess what I know about her? She was a sinner too. She falls into the altar. But her baby, Jesus, was not. He was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was God, completely, 100% God. Yet 100% man. He chose to leave the place that we desire to be in the presence of an almighty God to put on flesh. And as it says in John chapter 1, to live among us. To live among us. 30 some odd years or so, he lived as a normal person that nobody took any notice of. Worked in a carpenter shop apparently. Did things with his hand. Was found to be in the temple occasionally. Left behind because, as you also read in Matthew, in Luke, even in John I believe in the story of Jesus' birth, that they had taken him to this temple for a reason. We read the story here in Simeon, with Simeon. He had taken him to the temple really to dedicate him as the firstborn to God. That was their purpose of being there. It doesn't really come out in the story, but that's why they were there. How do we know that he was dedicated to the work of God? Because when he was left behind, what did he say when they came back to get him? What are you doing here? They said, I'm about my father's business. See, he was 100% God. He was 100% man. And he lived a life on this earth that all of us desire to live, and that was called a sinless life. The Bible tells us he faced all of temptation like we do, yet did not yield to that temptation. Is there anyone here that's willing to stand up and give a testimony that you've been able to yield from all temptation? I'm not. But he did. Yet he crawled on a cross. He crawled on a cross and was murdered because of sin. If he didn't sin, why was he murdered? He was murdered on the cross because I sinned and you sinned. You see, the baby that we think about in the manger, the hope we have in him is the fact that he lived a life we couldn't live, crawled upon a cross willingly to take your sin, my sin, upon himself to the point 
that the skies fell dark when God turned his back on But we know what he did on that cross was sufficient to pay the penalty. We talked about it at Sunday school this morning. There was a veil that hung in the temple, the tabernacle. A very thick veil that hung between the normal part of the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies where God resided with the tabernacle tent, this, this place that there were the cherubims and there was the Ten Commandments. There was the rod. There was the manna. It was all, all placed in this Ark of the Covenant. And it was behind this veil. And once a year, the high priest could go back, but only him. But when Jesus' arms were outstretched on that cross, and all the sin was placed upon him that we had committed, will commit, was placed upon him, and, and God saw that as a satisfactory substitutionary death on our behalf. He turned his back on his only begotten son, and he said, I know that this is perfect. Why? Because now you have access to me, because you have the ability to be righteous before me. And he reached his finger up and ripped that veil top to bottom. How can we have hope in Jesus Christ? Because he stretched his arms out on a cross and opened the veil that you might walk into the presence of the holy, 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 almighty God. You see, and as I told the kids this morning, that hope doesn't stop there. The real hope in this life is that this isn't life. The real hope in this life is that this isn't home. The real hope in this life is we're just passing through. We're just passing through. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a day that you will live eternally in the presence of the Almighty God and in the face of your Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. Walking on streets of gold. At this time of year, people are trying to scrounge up money to buy as Christmas presents for their loved ones. Looking through a sea that's like crystal. Hearing the angels all day long crying, holy, holy, holy. I can't wait to taste manna. Can you? I don't know what that is, but that's got to be some good stuff. But that's our hope. Because assuredly, as Isaiah said, there is coming a Messiah, and it happened at the cradle. Jesus said, I'm coming back to get you. Just as assuredly as he came when Isaiah said, I, I know a Messiah is coming, and Simeon said, I hold him in my hands. Just as true as that was, there's a day the clouds are going to part and we're going home. But you know what I know the Bible also tells me? There are those that are going to believe that in their head, but they're never going to believe it in their heart. And there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when I sit before my Lord and Savior, and you're not going to be there. It's not good enough to know it says it. It's not good enough to intellectually believe it. Satan knows and believes what's written in that Bible because he used it against Jesus in the wilderness. You think you're going to sit with him at the supper table? I don't think so. Those who haven't let it move from intellectual knowledge of their head to a change in their heart will sit with Satan. You'll be in a place called hell. Completely separated from anything you know or love Matter of fact, you'll be completely separated from love. 
You'll spend an eternity in a place that's described as gnashing of teeth with a fire that never goes out. Torment forever. You know, as you think about this baby that was born on Christmas, whose name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, know that he came to show you the love of an almighty God. He gave himself because he loved you dearly. He died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. He was buried in a tomb and rose the third day that you might have hope of eternal life with him in heaven forever. But it requires something of you. It requires you to have a life that is lived. A life that is lived with the belief that Jesus Christ did that for you. Where does it start? You said, you know what? My hope is in me right now. And I realize me ain't going to get me there. My hope needs to be in Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning, you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The end is near. Gabriel's licking his lips. The trumpet's about to sound. There will come a day you will not have the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why not today? Why not today? Why not today move from the hopeless to the hopeful? It starts with that. But it's more than just that. For those of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your life should have this expectation to it. This expectation that that's not the end. There is a time that Jesus is coming. And as long as I firmly believe that Jesus is coming, I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody to not have the opportunity to know that. Do you live a life expected to see Jesus at any moment? And that expectation drives you to tell others about your Jesus? I would ask you to raise your hand, but I think some of us would embarrass ourselves. When's the last time you sat down with someone and you told them from the depth of your heart that you love them so much you can't let them spend eternity in hell that you want them to know about your Jesus? When's the last time you set the excuses aside? They may get mad at me or they may... You know when they... Never mind. When is the last time you in action prove that you believe God loved you through Jesus Christ? See, that's the life of expected. If you expect Jesus to return tomorrow, is there anybody in your family that you don't want to know Jesus Christ? If you expect Jesus is coming tonight, is your, do you want your neighbor not to know? If we live a life of expectancy, you'll be at their door this afternoon with a cake, saying, hey, I brought you a cake. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And one of the other points we ever got to was a Holy Spirit-filled life. How did Simeon know? That this was the Messiah. Three times. Three times in that passage. It says the Holy Spirit filled him. The Holy Spirit led him. And he went into the temple in the Spirit. He had a Spirit-filled life that where God said go, Simeon said yes. When God said wait, Simeon said yes. When God said proclaim the message, Simeon said Yes. God's reward to him was, you shall not die until your eyes are laid upon the Messiah. When he saw Jesus, his life of hope was fulfilled. I ask you this morning, is your life of hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. 
We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.